0: Asbury. For those of you I haven't met, my name is Chris Jones. I serve in this congregation as one of the pastors. One of the things I'm wondering this morning is if I spit sometimes when I preach because nobody wants to sit in these first couple of rows. Is that the reason? I don't know what's going on this morning, but uh, it is good to have you with us in worship today. Uh, good morning to those of you worshiping with us online. I know that we have a number of people uh, on Facebook right now. Uh, one of whom is my wife and our twins. And so good morning to Amanda and Hannah and Noah, among many others. Uh, As we begin um, this message, let's have a word of prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for Asbury United Methodist Church, uh, for this congregation that you have put together, for the mission that you have given to us to know the love of Jesus and to pass it on. I pray that this morning as I preach that you would put me behind the cross of Jesus, uh, that you would loosen my tongue, uh, that you would help me to be bold, um, articulate in what I say. And God, when I fall short, when I mess up, uh, that you would speak um, even in spite of me. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as that bumper video showed us, today we are launched into a new series of messages on the sacraments that we're calling Sacramentum. Can you say this with me? Sacramentum. Um, sacramentum is a Latin word that means oath, as it says up here on the screen. Uh, The word comes from ancient Rome, where if a man were to join the military and go into battle, it was all men back then, uh, but if a man were to join the military and go into battle, that man would first take a sacramentum. In other words, he would take an oath of loyalty to the empire, that he would serve the empire, that he would be faithful to the empire, no matter what, under any circumstances. Uh, It might interest us to know that Rome had no standing army (laughs) thousands of years ago. They had no standing army. Now, when the nation was at peace, that was fine. But when the nation was at war, that posed a problem. And so when the nation was at war, if you were a healthy man living in the empire, then you were expected to leave behind your former life, whatever that life involved, your friends, your family, your community, your career, but leave behind your former life, take a sacramentum, take a pledge of loyalty, and then serve the empire, serve Caesar, who's the head of the empire under any circumstances. And this whole idea of a sacramentum actually comes to life in the movie Gladiator. How many of you have seen Gladiator? came out back in 2000, 21 years ago. It's hard to believe that 2000 was 21 years ago. Uh, but in that movie, uh, Russell Crowe, who's a great actor, uh, he plays this character named Maximus. Uh, Maximus is a wheat farmer, but he leaves behind that life, and then he takes a sacramentum, he takes that pledge of loyalty, and he becomes a general in the Roman army. Well, Christianity, as a number of us know, was born 2,000 years ago in the context of the Roman Empire. Uh, what had happened uh, 60-some years before Jesus is Rome had come in, conquer the area, conquer the land where God's people had been living. And so um, because Christianity was born in the context of the Roman Empire, the early Christians, those first followers of Jesus, were familiar with this concept of a sacramentum. They knew about this concept of a sacramentum. Only what they did is they subverted it and they associated it with the sacraments. When we participate in the sacraments, they said, when we receive the sacraments, and by the way, this should be up on the screen, uh, they associated with the sacraments. When we participate in the sacraments, they said, we are pledging ourselves, we are submitting ourselves, not to the Roman Empire, not to the Republic of Rome, but rather we are submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, um, how many of you grew up Catholic? I know that we have some people with a Catholic background. Uh, The Catholic Church, as some of you might know, observes seven sacraments. Do you remember what the seven sacraments are for Catholics? Marriage, Marriage, ordination, baptism, communion, confirmation, last rites, reconciliation. And so again, marriage, ordination, baptism, communion, confirmation, last rites, reconciliation. Those are the seven sacraments for Catholics. United Methodists, however, along with most Protestants, and when I say a Protestant, I'm referring to a Christian in the West um, who's not Catholic. United Methodists, along with most Protestants, narrowed the list of sacraments to two. Do you know what they are? Baptism and communion, baptism and communion. And the reason we recognize baptism and communion as sacraments and not these other five that our Catholic friends do, it's not that the other five aren't important, it's not that the other five aren't biblical, it's not that the other five don't have their place, but rather Jesus uh, participated in them and he specifically commanded them. He participated in them and he specifically commanded them. First, he participated in them. Jesus himself was baptized, wasn't he? By John the Baptist from the Jordan River. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, He also uh, received the Last Supper, the very last night of his life right before he was betrayed by Judas. So he participated in them, but then he also commanded them. What did Jesus say at the very end of his earthly ministry? He got up on a mountain. Uh, this is Matthew 28, 19. It's often called the Great Commission. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then, of course, when he celebrated the Last Supper and he instituted Holy Communion, he said, do these things as ye remember me. And so Jesus participated in the sacraments. He commanded them. They're a pledge of loyalty to him, but they're also more than that. They're also a means of grace, that God opens up our souls. God opens up your soul. God opens up my soul through the sacraments, and God infuses us with the grace necessary to be God's people in this world. St. Augustine, who was an early church father, uh, he lived back in the 300s and the 400s AD. This is how he defined a sacrament. Uh, he said, a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Uh, that sounds really fancy and theological, but what Augusta basically meant is that the sacraments use ordinary signs, everyday signs, things that we encounter in everyday life, water for baptism, bread and wine for Holy Communion, or grape juice in our case, uh, and these outward, visible, tangible signs point to the inner work of God in our lives. God's commitment to us as human beings and God's desire to mold us, shape us, recreate us, transform us from the inside out. And so given the importance of the sacraments, uh, what we are doing at Asbury, as I've already mentioned, is we are diving into this new sermon series called Sacramentum, in which we're going to be exploring the two sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. Uh, Maybe we've been here at Asbury before and we've wondered about the sacraments. Uh, maybe we've wondered what our church teaches, what our church believes about the sacraments. Or maybe we've wondered certain things like why we baptize babies or why we celebrate communion every month. And so we're going to talk about all that in the sermon series. Uh, we're going to learn more about the sacraments and these two messages than maybe we've ever learned before. Uh, and my hope and my prayer and my desire is that by the time we wrap up the sermon series next Sunday, uh, that what we discover about the sacraments won't just be head knowledge, It won't just be um, information in our minds, but instead we'll have a greater appreciation in our hearts for the sacraments and the way that God uses them so powerfully in our lives. Sound good to you? All right, even if it doesn't, we're still gonna do it. So I don't know what to say. (laughs) And so we're gonna start this morning with the sacrament of baptism, baptism. What's going on in baptism? Why do we baptize babies? What does baptism signify? What does baptism represent? Well, the first thing baptism represents that I want us to acknowledge is the fact that in Jesus Christ, God from all eternity has reached out to us in love and chosen to name and identify us as God's very own. In Jesus Christ, God has reached out to all of us in love and chosen to name and identify us as God's very own. Check out what happened to Jesus uh, when he was baptized. I mentioned a few moments ago Uh, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. This is how Luke records uh, his baptism. Uh, This is from uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter three, verse 21, as well as verse 22. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on Jesus like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, "'You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy.'" Now, the story of Jesus' baptism is found in all four Gospels. The birth of Jesus is not found in all four Gospels, but the story of his baptism is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and it's found early on in the Gospels, in those opening chapters. And so at this point in the story of Jesus, not very much has happened. Jesus hasn't gone into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He hasn't launched his three-year public ministry. Uh, which means that he hasn't turned water into wine. He hasn't preached the Sermon on the Mount. He hasn't told any parables. He hasn't healed people. He hasn't cast out demons. He hasn't gone to the cross to be crucified for our sin. And yet even so, at his baptism, God identifies Jesus as his very own son. You are my dearly loved son, God says, and you bring me great joy. Not you bring me some joy, you bring me great joy. And so notice, God's joy isn't dependent on what Jesus has done, is it? Because as we've already said, Jesus hasn't done much of anything. Instead, God's joy is entirely dependent on who Jesus is. The fact that Jesus is God's son, and Jesus is always going to be God's son. And folks, what I want us to hear this morning is that's true for all of us when it comes to baptism, that God tells us through these grace-filled waters that we are God's own, I am God's own. You are God's own. We are God's sons. We are God's daughters. And we bring God joy. We bring God satisfaction. And this joy, this satisfaction is not dependent on what we have done or haven't done. Instead, it is entirely dependent on God's love for us, God's unconditional love for us as human beings. It's a manifestation of that love that all of us are loved by God in ways that exceed understanding. Um, Tom and Beverly Sysloff, uh, I know you get kind of nervous when I call your names, they were members of the first congregation that I served uh, when I finished seminary. Uh, I was an associate pastor in Fruitland Park, and I'm glad that when they moved to this area uh, and I moved over here that we had the ability to reconnect, and it's been a a great joy to have them in our church family. But when I was an associate pastor, uh, the senior pastor I served with, and of course Tom and Beverly know him well, uh, his name is Mike Fordham. Uh, right now, he's serving a church up in Tallahassee, Florida. Well, Mike tells the story. Uh, he has four kids Amanda, Sean, uh, Lindsay, and Rebecca. And so Sean is his only boy. Um, well, one time when Sean was a teenager, uh, Mike decided that he was going to take Sean out to lunch just the two of them together, nobody else. So they went to this barbecue restaurant called Oakwood. And if you're familiar with the Leesburg area, definitely got to check out Oakwood, it's really good. And so they're at Oakwood, they're enjoying their meal. And then all of a sudden during the meal, Mike just looks at Sean and he says, Sean, I love you. You know that, right? And Sean got kind of embarrassed and he said, yeah, dad, I know that you love me. And then Mike said, Sean, you know why I love you, right? And he nodded and said, yeah, just because, just because. Why does God love us as much as God does? not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we haven't done. God loves us just because. Just because we breathe. Just because we exist. Just because God put us together in his very own image. Just because God's commitment to us far exceeds our commitment to God. That God has chosen from all eternity to call us God's children. As the Apostle John puts it in 1 John 3, 1, One of my favorite Bible verses, he says, oh, what great love the Father has lavished on us. He doesn't say, oh, what great love the Father has given to us in a stingy way. No, oh, what great love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word lavish because, listen, I lavish sugar in my coffee. I lavish cream in my coffee. I lavish ketchup on my fries. Uh, When you lavish something, you don't hold back. You give it generously, liberally. Oh, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are before we are anything else. We are children of God. Now, granted, you and I are free to reject our identity as children of God, aren't we? And here I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told. Jesus said that there was a man who had two sons. One day the younger son came to his father, and he said, Dad, I want my share of the estate before you die which was basically his way of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. You're only as good as the money that you've left me in your will. And so what does the son do? He takes the money and he squanders it away in wild living. I'll leave it to your imagination to figure out what wild living entailed. But here's what I want us to recognize from this story. Even as a prodigal far away from home, the prodigal son was still a son, amen? He never stopped being a child of his father. Baptism signals to all of us that we never stop being children of God. And baptism also calls us to remember our identity in God in those times when we sin and forget. Uh, My favorite Disney movie of all time, I have a lot of favorites, but my all-time favorite Disney movie is The Lion King. Any Lion King fans this morning? All right, and if you're not a fan of The Lion King, what's the matter with you? I mean, seriously, it's a a great movie. I'm not sure we could be friends. Well, in the movie Lion King, there's this young lion cub. What's his name? Simba. And so Simba is a child of his father. What's his name? Mufasa, Mufasa uh, played by James Earl Jones. I just nobody could do a better job playing Mufasa than he could. And so uh, Mufasa is this beautiful, majestic lion. He's the king of the pride lands, uh, and Simba is just so excited to be his father's son. But then what happens toward the beginning of the movie is Mufasa is tragically killed in a stampede. I'm sorry, spoiler alert this morning. But he's killed, and Simba believes that he's responsible for his dad's death. And so Simba runs away as fast as he can. He abandons his place as the king of the Pride Lands. He gets associated with these characters named Timon and Pumbaa. And Timon and Pumbaa, meanwhile, they have good intentions, but they take Simba down the wrong path. They teach him this philosophy called the kuna matata, no worries, do whatever you want, take life as it comes. So what does Simba do? He lazes around he doesn't hunt, he eats bugs, he does things that lions are not supposed to do, that lions are not built to do. But then toward the end of the movie, in my favorite scene, Simba has this experience where he's looking down in the water. And what does he see? He sees not just his own reflection, he sees the reflection of his father staring back at him, and all of a sudden he remembers who he is, I am a child of Mufasa. So often you and I get caught up in sin. We get caught up in brokenness and destructive patterns of living. But when we look down in the waters of baptism, we see God staring back at us and we hear God saying, you are my son. You are my daughter. You belong to me. You are my child. Listen, baptism doesn't make us children of God. I want to be clear about that. It's not as if somebody becomes a child of God when they're baptized. Rather, baptism affirms who we already are. Uh, because of God who has reached out to us in Jesus. Baptism doesn't make us children of God. Rather, baptism affirms who we already are because of God who has reached out to us in Jesus. I like how one person put it. Uh, They said that baptism is like a coronation ceremony. Now, when Queen Elizabeth, I know it's kind of hard for us to think of coronation ceremonies in America, but in England, right, when Queen Elizabeth became queen, they had this ceremony where they put a crown on her head. Now, let me ask us a question. Would Queen Elizabeth have been a queen without that ceremony? Absolutely. Just because of who she is, just because of her connection to her family. But that ceremony signaled to the whole world who Queen Elizabeth was. Baptism signals to everybody. When we baptize somebody, we are signaling who this person already is as a child of God because of God who has reached out to us in Jesus. And in reaching out to us, what God does is God makes a covenant with us. Now, a covenant is like an agreement, but it's more than an agreement. It's deeper than that. And throughout the Bible, God makes covenants with human beings. God makes a covenant with Noah after the flood. God makes a covenant with Abraham. God makes a covenant with Moses. God makes a covenant with David. Well, the covenant God makes with you and me in baptism is a covenant of relationship. God says, I'm going to live in relationship with you. I'm going to forgive you of your sin. I'm going to forgive you of your brokenness. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to liberate you. I'm going to live eternally with you. All I ask is that you receive this free gift of love and salvation, that you say yes to Jesus Christ, that you follow me in this world. Once we do that, if we have never been baptized before, then we're baptized. Baptism points to the washing away of our sin, dying to our old selves, rising to a new form of existence in Jesus, or as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, behold, new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All right. So how does the baptism of babies fit in with all that, right? right. Because babies can't make that decision for themselves to be a follower of God, to receive God's gift of salvation. They don't have any awareness of what's going on when they're baptized. Exactly, precisely. That's why we baptize them. We baptize babies in part because babies remind us how all of us are when it comes to God, that we are weak and helpless sinners. Who never stop being dependent on God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to save us, to redeem us, to forgive us. Another reason we baptize babies is that infant baptism, in a powerful way, emblemizes the prevenient grace of God. Uh, you've heard me talk about prevenient grace in the past. All of us should be familiar with this concept. Prevenient comes from a Latin word that means to come before. And grace refers to the grace of God that comes before us. The grace of God that precedes us. The grace of God that is present in our lives from the very start, even while we're babies. We have some babies with us today. Amen. This is awesome. But even while we're babies, not thinking about God, not contemplating God, no awareness of God, God in some mysterious way is already present in our lives. God is reaching out to us in love. God is calling us, beckoning us, drawing us to Himself. And so what happens in infant baptism is we affirm this prevenient grace of God at work in the child's life. And then at least one of the parents or a sponsor makes a promise to raise this child up in the church to teach this child the way of Jesus so that one day when this child is older, this child could decide for himself or herself to receive God's gift of salvation and be a follower of Jesus. And when does that decision normally happen for the child? there is a ceremony that we call confirmation. It's actually really similar to the Jewish practice of circumcision. Um, in Judaism, when a male child is only eight days old, I mean, imagine that, eight days old, you're an infant, a baby, but when this male child is eight days old, um, he's circumcised, which is a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham and the Jewish people. Uh, the child can't decide to be circumcised. The parents make this decision on his behalf. But then when the child is 13 years old in Judaism, He goes through a ceremony where he could decide to accept God's gift of love that was uh, decided for himself when he was a baby. Do you know what that ceremony is called for Jews? A bar mitzvah. Exactly. Well, listen. What circumcision is for Jews, baptism is for Christians. What a bar mitzvah is for Jews, confirmation is for Christians. We actually draw this point from what Paul writes here in Colossians 2, Now listen to what Paul says as he draws this parallel uh, between circumcision and baptism. Paul writes, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now, here's a question to think about. What if somebody is baptized as a baby, but then that person chooses not to go through confirmation? Does that nullify the baptism? Does that cancel it out? No. Or what if somebody is baptized as a baby, and maybe they go through confirmation, but then when they get into college, they run away from God, their 20s, their 30s, they get away from the church, but then they come back to God in their 40s or their 50s or their 60s. Does that person need to be rebaptized? No, because God is the main agent of baptism. Baptism is more about what God does than it is about what we do. Baptism is about God's faithfulness to us, even when we're not faithful to God. We believe that God's grace always gets it right the first time. That's why we do not rebaptize in the United Methodist Church. We will give you the opportunity to remember your baptism, but we do not rebaptize. And let's be clear about something else that once God has claimed us as God's own in baptism, whether that be infant baptism or any baptism at all, God doesn't let us get away so easily. Uh, Will Willimon uh, is a preacher. Uh, He uh, teaches at Duke Divinity School. And he tells a story that when he was uh, a young pastor, he was serving this um, tiny congregation in Georgia. It was in this rural area. And one Sunday morning, they had this 14-year-old kid He just showed up in worship. Uh, The kid didn't come with his parents. In fact, he came from a pretty rough family background, but he really found solace in the church and he found a community there. There were so many people who acted as um, surrogate aunts and uncles, and um, they took him in and they loved him and they encouraged him. Well, this kid decided to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, to receive God's gift of salvation, and so he was baptized. And the whole church was so proud. Everybody came out, they had a potluck afterwards. Uh, They were so excited. Well, then the kid finished high school, and the congregation loved him so much that they raised money to send him off to college. So he goes off to college. He comes back after that first year, and like a lot of college students who finished their first year, he knew everything, right? And so he goes into Willimon's office, and he says, hey, pastor, I'm back in town for the summer, but I want you to know that you're not going to be seeing me in church. You see, I've been doing some studying and I've just discovered that there's not a whole lot to this whole Christianity thing, and I don't need the church. Willemont said, huh, that's interesting. And the kid said, that's it? That's your response? I thought that you'd be mad. I thought that you'd go through the roof. I'm not mad, he said. I just don't think you could pull this off. Pull it off, he said. What are you talking about? I'm 19 years old. I can do whatever I want, can't I? And Willemont said, yeah, you're 19, and you're an adult, you can do whatever you want but you got to remember that you're baptized. Well, so what, he said. What does my baptism have anything to do with this? And Willamont said, it has everything to do with this. You see, you have to remember that there were people in this church when you were baptized, and they made a promise that they were going to support you in your decision to follow Jesus Christ. You try not showing up here on Sunday morning, I guarantee you they're going to be knocking on your door. They're going to be calling you on the phone. They're going to be seeing you at the grocery store. They're going to be asking you questions like who you're dating and what kind of grades you made. And then there's also God. Don't tell him what God might do. In my experience of God, once God has claimed you as God's own, God doesn't stop coming after you. And so the kid stumbled out of Willimon's office. He was all confused. He didn't know what to make of all that. Willimon said that the very next Sunday morning, the kid was sitting in his normal spot in the second row. He didn't get away like he thought he would. God doesn't let us get away so easily. There's one more thing I want to say about infant baptism. I debated whether or not I should put this in the message. uh, But I I feel the need to share it. Because it's an elephant in the room. Sometimes people mistakenly think that the reason we baptize babies is because if something were to ever happen to the child, if the child were to pass away, then that child will not be in heaven with God one day. You ever heard that one before? I want to be clear about something. That is not why we baptize babies. That is not why we baptize babies. Not only that, but that whole notion is ridiculous. It is absurd, it is horrific to think that the God of love revealed in Jesus Christ, the very one who said, let the children come to me and do not stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children would ever condemn anybody. Of all people, a helpless child to hell because that child isn't baptized. As we've already said, this child is a child of God even without the baptism. Infant baptism, like any baptism, it's not about the condemnation of God. It's a sign of God's love for us, God's mercy for us. God's forgiveness of us. And so I just felt the need to share that. And then the last point I want to bring out as we wrap up this message, believe it or not, it is coming to a close, is that God uses the waters of our baptism to commission us for ministry. That just like Jesus was sent out in ministry after his baptism, God sends all of us out in ministry after our baptism. That God beckons us through these waters to use our gifts To partner with God in what God is doing to transform this broken planet that God so deeply loves. My first semester of seminary, I took this class called Introduction to Christian Ministry. Uh, The professor, uh, his name was uh, Ken Carter, he's a retired bishop. And he told the story in our class that when he was serving a congregation in Tennessee, he had this congregant. He was a physician, he was an influential man in the community, he was well respected. Well the church was in an affluent area and there was an impoverished community close by and Carter thought that the church could be doing more to partner with these people in this impoverished community to really share resources with them. And so he asked this physician if he would head up a committee to help the church explore ways to, um, to be uh, better neighbors to this community that was impoverished. And the man agreed to do that. Well a couple of weeks went by, no committee was formed. No meeting took place, and Carter was all confused. And so he called this man on the phone, and he said, "Hey, I'm um, just trying to understand what's going on here. Do you plan on starting that committee?" And the man said, "Well, Ken, I apologize, but you know, a couple of weeks ago you were preaching about baptism, and you talked about how God commissions all of us in baptism to use our gifts and service to God's people. I was so inspired by that message that when I got home that afternoon, I started calling colleagues of my colleagues of mine on the phone who are physicians." And we decided that we were gonna open up a medical um, center in the community, a clinic in the community that would offer free medical care to those who can't afford it. That's been taking up all my time. And so I just, I haven't had any free time to start this committee. Would you rather have me start this committee? And Carter said, no, keep on doing what you're doing. You are doing exactly what God means for you to do. And so that man was living out his baptismal call to follow Jesus by serving the poor. The question I wanna leave us with is this, How is God calling you this morning to live out your baptismal call? Through the waters of baptism, God names and identifies us as God's very own. God makes a covenant with us and God commissions us for ministry. And listen, if you're here this morning, if you're worshiping with us online, if you have never been baptized before and you want to be baptized, or if you have a child and you want your child to be baptized, I hope that you will reach out to myself, to Pastor Will. Uh, We would love to... um, set up a time to chat with you so that we could talk about all that. Baptism demonstrates God's unconditional love for us as human beings. God's grace for us, which is unmatched, unrivaled, far better than we could ever understand. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As our band uh, prepares to come back forward, or to come up here, I wanna lead us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, this morning I find myself so grateful for my baptism that happened when I was a year old, just a baby. I had no idea about you. I had no concept of your presence or your love. And yet in some mysterious way because of your prevenient grace, You are at work in my life. I thank you for my parents who decided to take me to church, to raise me up there, for that church down at Fort Lauderdale Christ Church, which taught me all about Jesus, which didn't let me get away, even in those moments when I wanted to as a high school student. God, I thank you for all the people gathered here today, for those worshiping with us online, and we celebrate your work in baptism for all that baptism teaches us, for all that baptism signifies, your love for us, your grace. God, you are so good. Thank you. Please continue to wash us clean of our sin. Please continue to set us free of our brokenness. By your spirit's power, help us to partner with you, to use our gifts and service to your kingdom so that more and more people might come to understand the great love of Jesus. We pray all these things in his name.